last night one we're going to have for a little while. Um, and I, honestly, I'm still not quite sure what's going to happen. We'll talk about that later today. Um, but we'll just, you know, see what happens. But last time we were together, we were talking about 1 Samuel 7. And I don't know uh, how many of you remember anything at all uh, about last time. But in 1 Samuel 7, Israel kind of ended on a high note. They're actually doing pretty good. They weren't doing so hot for a little while. But they ended on a high note so much that they basically, they all came together as a nation. And they said, Father, we're tired of like kind of being put in and one foot out. We're going to give up all the false that we own. We're going to give up the, the like wrong ways of approaching you. And they did. They actually like took it all out. They got rid of it. Uh, then they went into a fast, and they said, Father, like, we, are, we want to follow you the right way, to know that we sh- the way we should have been doing the whole time. We actually want to do that now. If you could please have mercy on us, have mercy on us, because we're at our wit's end. We don't know what That, Believe it or not, that's a high note when we get to that place in life. I want you to know that. That's not a low point. That's actually a high point. We've now positioned ourselves to be supremely empowered by our Father. Did you know that? Nobody likes to come to that place. We all kind of want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and kind of like make a way and like figure it out and be smart enough. Um, And there's some room for, you know, being smart and procedure and ways to do things. But God takes a lot of glory. And he really enjoys when we're really just at our wit's end. We got literally nothing left. And then he says, okay. Now what are we going to do? What is your choice now? And he so much wants our choice to be, Father, I have literally no idea. I'm just, I, all I can do is trust you. I don't know. I don't know. It's a pretty powerful point in life. And so many of us, we fight everything that we can fight to get to that place because it doesn't feel good. And nobody likes it. Um, so that's when we end it. So we pick up in chapter 8, and this is maybe 20 to 30 years later. And we're kind of, Unfortunately, they're, they're kind of back to their old ways, unfortunately, which kind of stinks. But as my pastor used to say growing up, that when we read the Old Testament and you see what happens with Israel, and you see like, you know, how they interact and they get to the places they get to, Israel is really just a good picture of our own hearts. Many times it's like, it's like the way we act, the way they behave, um, the way they approach God, the way they're double-minded most of the time, the way they rejected him many times. They always were given good information. They were supplied what they needed in leadership and things that they needed to do. But they just, they had such a difficult time being all in, being fully committed, and not wavering and staying the course. And that's really just a picture of our own hearts. And the amazing thing is, like, they didn't live under the empowering of the Holy Spirit that we now have in the New Testament which puts it in a whole nother light, really, for them, and a whole nother light for us. We have a tremendous advantage if we choose to take advantage of it. So much of what we're going to read this morning, there's, I only have a couple of things that I wanted to look at. Um, I wanted to ask you this question, because I kind of wrestled with this question. I asked Julie about it, and I really didn't, I, I couldn't come up with anything good. So I just wanted to ask, just to get your mind going and just kind of think about it. Um, was there ever anything... In your life, and you know, don't answer it out loud, it's just to think about. Be rhetorical. <laughs> we don't want a huge just unveiling of things. Um, could get weird. So, if you could think, can you think of any time in life where um, you really wanted something, 
You wanted to do it. Nobody could tell you otherwise. You were warned, but you said, you know what? No, I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm, I'm just doing it. I'm going after it. That is what I want. That is what I'm going to do. Uh, other people said some things, but this is what I want to do. So I tried to think, like, in my own life. I was like, man, like, when did I, when did I do that? And I, I don't know. The best I could really come up with in my own personal life was, it's kind of like little things. There, there wasn't really a lot of things, you know. It was, you know, get my first job. I remember always wanted to have a job. I remember, like, kids at school, 14, 15 years old, be like, I got to go to work. I got to go to my job. I have to get up early, go to this. Or after school, I got to go work here. And I always thought, like, 14, 15 years old, I was like, I want a job. Like, that sounds like a mature thing. And they have money. <laughs> I want to go to work. And then I got to work. And I don't like work. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's probably normal for a lot of people. And, and then I remember driving. You know, I was like, always, I wanted to drive. And I still like driving. I just, I enjoy driving. I'll just go, and I'll just go for a drive. I don't care where it is. I'll go get lost. I just like that. Julie's on the other end. She's like, that's, like, stupid. Just go to where you're going. <laughs> but I remember driving, you know. I want to get my license. I want to get my license. Get my, and then I get my license, and I start driving. But then, you know, you got to pay for gas. You got to pay for registration. You got to pay for insurance. It's like, ah, oh, that's not really all it's cracked up to be. It's pretty awesome, but like that's a huge sort of cost that comes along with it that I didn't really anticipate. So there's like little things, you know, that I thought about in my life, but I couldn't really pinpoint anything super specific. Um, and, I, and I guess I, I would just, you know, really just thank God and just, for the most part, thank the home that I grew up in. Just, I don't know, for whatever reason, at an early age, I just bought in for the most part, not totally, but I bought in for the most part that there's people that are older and wiser, and it's really important that you listen to them. And so I just kind of always really approached life that way. It's like, well, I don't have to do the school of hard knocks if I don't have to. Some people wear that as a badge, like that's all, school hard knocks. <laughs> you know, like, and, and within that, there's kind of a testimony, but like, maybe within that, that's also sort of like letting the world know that you're a super stubborn person a little bit. You know, like, there's some value to the school of hard knocks because, you know, life is just life and just it throws a lot of things and you learn a lot. Absolutely. You can only talk about things for so long until you actually get in them and do them. Right? Then you learn it. Um, so I didn't really have, and, but maybe you have, you know, like stories or situations or maybe just one or I don't know. But maybe there's something there where it's just like, you know, I was warned repeatedly or people told me or I kind of knew, but I didn't care. I just, I just did it. And I don't know if you have something like that or a story like that, but I would say if you do, I would encourage you just to kind of reflect on that and just kind of take a, just think about that. Maybe I haven't thought about it in a while, but just think about the situation. You know, why was it that you wanted so bad whatever it was? You know, why? And then how come... How come you weren't at all interested in really paying close attention to the things being said around you? And then I would also ask the question, could that happen to me tomorrow? Like, you'd kind of want to know, like, have I grown from that at all? Am I still kind of the same person, just older in years? You know, it's important to think about those things because 
you know, we're going to get to that, you know, right now. We're going to read it. And, and, and really, if you kind of had to label their situation right now, and probably again later. And for those of us that can be super stubborn and just go after things just because we want to do it, because we want to do it, because we want to do it. Um, the phrase, you know, that I heard of, and it just reminded me of it, and you may have heard of it before, was, don't confuse me with the facts. You hear that phrase? Don't confuse me with the facts. I've already got my mind made up. I already just want to do it. So don't add the facts to the mix. They're making it harder. And I think about that often. You know, I teach, um, you know, in a high school, and, you know, much of the way they approach life, unfortunately, is uh, there's sort of a compartment for God over here somewhere. So there's this super low-level acknowledgement of God. It doesn't really permeate anything else. And, you know, most of life they have made up like what they want to do. Just have it made up. And they have all kinds of things made up. You know, who they want to hang out with, who they want to date, um, you know, types of jobs that they want to have, clubs they want to belong to, all kinds of stuff. But college is kind of a big one. When college time comes up and they have to apply to schools, and now we're talking a lot of money, so they're like, oh, I want to be a doctor, and I want to be this, and I want to be that, and I want to be this. And then I get asked to write a lot of recommendations for colleges, and I have to like, you know, type these things up and write them up and give them to kids. And I always ask them, I say, hey, am I supposed to tell the truth? <laughs> it's always interesting, the responses, depending upon the kid, too. But um, I normally tell the truth. That's what I do. So we get to this point where I have these recommendations, and I talk to them and say, hey, like, it's great, you want to apply to all these schools, you want to go to these places, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The truth is, you have to pay back all the money you borrowed. That's the truth. So I don't know, as far as your schools and what they are, maybe you'd like to be longer, further away, maybe they don't have exactly the perfect program, but listen, if the price is right, and it's kind of pretty good for what you want, go after it. Because it gets super expensive, and you're going to spend a large part of your life after school paying all that back, and it's going to constrain you and paralyze you from doing things that maybe you could do if you weren't in that situation. Um, and that's one of those examples of, you know, don't confuse me with the facts. Because most of the time, they have their minds made up. I'm going to whatever school it is, and it's usually some really nice school somewhere that's 50,000, a year. <laughs> they got to borrow, you know, 40 of it. And four years, and boom, and they got a tab at the end. And then they come back, five or six years, come, come visit the classroom. It's great when they come back. Hey, Mr. Murphy, what's going on? Hey, good to see you. And then you ask them. Hey, well, I ask them all kinds of stuff, and we interact with the kids. And then they're like, man, I should have really paid attention <laughs> to how to fill out a FAFSA. <laughs> what it meant to have an interest rate. All this stuff. And... Um, I just say all that because there's, there's, there's a lot of value, I think, in us, number one, evaluating ourselves as far as what our motivation is behind the things that we want. Like all of us, we want things. Like you're sitting there, there's some things you want right now. I don't know what they are, but there's things that you want. And if I passed out a piece of paper and I said, hey, just write them down, you might have no problem filling up two sheets, give me a third, you know, and whatever. Some of you might just be able to fill up on a few. But there's some things that you want. There's some things that I want. I'd write down some things on the. I have some things written down on the paper. 
But I think there's tremendous value, and I think what the gospel encourages us to do is always look at our hearts. And so the next really follow-up question is, okay, why exactly do I want those things? What's the motivation driving it, honestly, at the end of the day? It's interesting to come up what may come up. And then, if somebody's really interested in figuring out where their motivation lies, they will not only do that little exercise with themselves, then they would ask another voice into the mix and say, hey, a couple of things that I just really have in my heart that I really have a strong desire towards. And then you kind of share what they are. And you also share things like, you know, I think I'm really interested in this because of this. I'm really interested because of, in that because of this. I'm really interested in this thing because of that. And I think my desire is here because of this. And then you ask somebody and say, hey, what do you think? Does that sound like me? Do you think I'm just deceiving myself and I fooling myself? Do you think this is more self Right? That will really help to sort of streamline a lot of things. Because how many people know we can convince ourselves of anything? And it's also true you can always find the voice that you want to agree with what you want to agree with. And it's also true that in a church setting, if we get God people to agree with us, that's like the automatic green light. It's like super scary stuff. So I, I think there's some interesting things, you know, that we can pull out of 1 Samuel 8 when we t- take a look at Israel and how they respond. And, you know, hopefully it's helpful to you. We're going to do some communion after that. Um, and then we'll grab some snacks downstairs. So, so let's take a look. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Don't confuse me with the facts, right? All right, here we go. It says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of the firstborn was Joel. The name of the second was Abijah, Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. So here's the situation, right? The, The short version is, the way Israel has functioned up until this point, they like had one determined leader, and that, that's the way that it went. They had a determined leader. So they would have, like the book of Judges, they would have judges. They had guys like Moses, right? They had Gideon. They had these different leaders, and that's the way it would function. They weren't part of um, some other type of government. And in this day, a monarchy, where a king was in charge, they, they were totally, they never had that. They always had, really, God leading them through one significant person that would sort of be the intermediary. Samuel had been the voice, the leader, the priest, and he had done a tremendous job for the nation of Israel. Amazing job. He's just done really well. So, like, the next in line, the next thought would be, hey, like, his sons, like, they're going to be the next judges. I mean, it's coming from his family. He's been, honestly, the best we've had in a really long time. So that was the plan. But his sons, for whatever reason, uh, they weren't doing so well. They didn't follow after the way of dad. And uh, we don't know why. It says in verse 3, his sons didn't walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, and they accepted bribes, and they perverted justice. So I'm not sure what happened in Samuel's house. And there's maybe, there's, I know there's a topic for parenting in there, but that's not for today. 
you know, I don't know how, how much is, you know, Samuel responsible for, what are his kids like, you know, I, I, I don't know how it all plays out. I don't know how it all plays out. Um, but I can tell you this. Uh, would you say that God is the perfect father? I think probably a lot of Christians would say that. God's a perfect father. Um, is everybody running to be with their father and be in his lap and be in a relationship? <laughs> no. <laughs> They're not. You know, so is he a bad dad? You know, I don't think so. But I think sometimes, like, you know, parenting and, and, and being in that role, the way we judge if we were successful or not, you just look immediately at the kid because, hey, if you're a good parent, then you got good kids. If you're a bad parent, you got bad kids. And, and, and that, that's not a good way to look at it. Not totally accurate. I mean, you got the perfect father, and you got Adam and Eve with the perfect garden, literally everything I ever wanted. And the, the, do anything you want except for one thing. What about that one thing? No, do everything you want. Yeah, yeah, I want to know the one thing. No, you have full reign. Yeah, tell me the one thing. It's like that's all they could like, focus on. And he was a perfect dad in, a per, in the perfect environment. So our kids, you know, and our future, it could be difficult to make a judgment shot as far as how people did parenting when you just look at the kids. I know I'm tempted to all the time at school. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this kid. Oh, what happens in their home, you know? It's really what I think. But maybe the truth, maybe it is crazy and it's just nuts. You know, or maybe like, man, parents are doing pretty awesome, but this kid is just, there's just things going on. You know, I just don't know. But whatever. That's for another day. But the situation is, Samuel did a great job. He's getting old. His sons won't cut it. Verse 4, all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel Ramah. That was his hometown. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. All right, I want to show you something. So you got your Bibles. Go to um, uh, Leviticus 20. So take a left. Leviticus, Leviticus 20, verse 26. I want to show you something here. And also, Numbers 23. Right? These are like probably places you always spend your quiet times in, so it's probably pretty easy to find. I'm just kidding. If you can't find it, just use a table of contents. So we're in uh, Leviticus, which, what, what is it? 2026. And then also Numbers 23, 9. Okay? And that wasn't just a drill to see who could get there. That, that wasn't. It's not the deal. Okay, so Leviticus 20, verse 26, right? That's where we're at. Uh, God's saying to Israel, You are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy, and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. You are to be holy to me, because I, the Lord, am holy, 
and I have set you apart from the nations to be my own. That's what God says to Israel, okay? Excuse me, the Numbers 23.9 says, From the rocky peaks I see them, is God again talking. From the heights I view them, I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. From the rocky peaks I see them, from the heights I view them, I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. There's other places as well. I just wanted to just kind of show you, make the point that it was always part of the plan and still is. It's always part of the plan for God's people to be different. It's always, was, always is part of the plan for God's people to be different, to be set apart. And that was also the case here. These guys were frustrated. Elders were frustrated. They said, Samuel, you let us? You're getting old. You, you can't do it like you've been doing. Your sons are just no good. Um, listen, just give us a king. That's it. It's interesting. They didn't request it. They demanded it. You with me? It wasn't a request. It wasn't like, hey, you know, what do you think about this option? We've been thinking. We're frustrated. You know, we don't. It was no. Just, just give us this. Don't confuse me with the facts. Just give me this. Let me suggest to you, okay? They have been struggling in their relationship with God, being close to him, being connected to him. They were repeatedly known for just rejecting him. And we're going to read that in a minute. God makes that point. How they've rejected him. They've been like half-hearted, and God calls it a rejection. Pretty strong language. They haven't been real close with God. They continue to struggle being close with God. So they're not exactly totally fueled and focused on the initial call and destiny on them as a people. Are you with me? Okay, I used different words there. I said call and destiny on them as a people. Call and destiny, like God had decreed and declared that they would be set apart, that they would be sanctified, that they would be for him that they're not going to look like the other nations. Are you with me? So then they get stressed out, they get frustrated, and they say, oh, we want to look like the other nations. Here's what they're saying. Basically, God, what's our other option? To keep doing what we're doing? Meaning, to keep just trusting you? It's a lot of work. It would make so much more sense, Samuel, if we just had a king in place. And we're going to read in a little bit. Their main focus and desire on that was they could then have somebody, that was their job, was to give them security and to give them protection and give them safety. So they were willing to call off their value and their destiny of that God imparted to them for the sake of security. Are you with me? Security is a pretty tempting thing. I mean, who doesn't want to be secure? And who doesn't want to protect and provide? I mean, it even says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love always protects. Like, that, that's like a thing that should happen. But it should never come at the cost of God's truth and what he says. And it should never come in our own manipulations in different ways. There's nothing but problems that's going to lead in the end. So, they say, hey, give us a king. We want a king. 
It says, when they said this, verse 6, Give us a king to lead us. This displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day, brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and unserving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them. Warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will do. Interesting response from Samuel. Um, I like that. You know, he didn't like it. It displeased him. So then he said, you guys are dumb. This is a bad plan, blah, blah, blah. No, that's not what he did. When it displeased him and he was frustrated, what did he do? He went to God first, right? He just went to him in prayer. Just be like, I, you could just imagine, like, his entire life was invested into these people and into this nation. Like, it's not like he was somewhat removed. His heart is attached. He is there. His whole life. And he's seen the highs, he's seen the lows. And he's like, he's probably like, ah, I can't believe this is where we are right now. So frustrated. And he didn't let him have it, which a lot of our flesh probably would want to do a lot of times. And maybe we'd be justified in doing so, because after all, they're wrong and we're right. But that wasn't the issue. He's like, Lord, I, want, I, need, I need to hear from you on this and bring it before you. It's pretty interesting. But they were at a place. I just want to make sure we get this point. right? They were at a place to where they would rather have the security of having a person there in place than having a security in the faith of who God is. Are you with me? And I'm telling you, that's like a super common thing right now in this day and age for sure. Happens in church leadership all of the time. All the time, meaning there's always problems. People always have concerns. Things always come up. And many times, most people, they just want to run to a leadership, run to a person and say, you pray for me on this. Like, tell me what I have to do. Tell me this. It's the same situation. Because honestly, like, if I'm ever involved with counseling things, which I do get involved in, my first response always is, what have you been praying with God on this? Like, where has your heart been in prayer on this? Because I am not about to jump ahead of what he's been saying and then try and interject what I think should be done. My role and my job and any Christian leader's job is to come alongside what the Spirit already wants to do. Not to just reveal it and illuminate it because they're the chosen one. Hear me on this. There's like a bad model out there like where people think that's the way it should be. And that's not the way it should be. We access the same God, the same Father. And it's true, God speaks through people. But he's not expecting people to be God. And that's what they wanted. They just want to be like, listen, we need this in place. And they kind of have legitimate concerns. I mean, would you, would I want to be a nation of two to three million people, and we don't have an army? It's a little stressful. <laughs> and you got the Philistines constantly knocking on the door. You got the Amorites right there as well. And they're always a problem. And what are God's fighting tactics? Well, 
Last time they won, it was because he thundered loudly and scared everybody. Another time, they marched around a city and they blew a trumpet. Another time, they had little lantern containers and they shook them. I'll tell you what, it doesn't make me feel really good. Like, <laughs> but what does make people feel good, hey, there's an army in place just in case, like, a problem arises, you know, we're going to be okay, and, like, there's a king, and he will lead that, and he will train them, and And I am not saying, I'm not suggesting that it was never in Israel's future to have a king. Because it was, I want to see if I wrote it down. You can write down these verses if you want. In Genesis 17.6, Genesis 17.16, Genesis 35.11, Deuteronomy 7.14-20. These, all of these passages... They referred to a future king that would happen in the nation. So God knew it was coming. Did he want it to happen like this in this situation? Well, obviously not. Because he said, hey, listen, this is just the rejecting me. Like I, I it's interesting to think about, like God didn't want this to happen. So some people are just always caught up on like nothing will ever happen unless God wants it to happen. Not necessarily. He can absolutely do whatever he wants in whatever situation. He's God. He's sovereign. He can do it. Does every situation pan out and happen the way he wants? No. Well, why? How come? I don't know, man. We got this fight going on. We got the devil. We got people's choices. We the flesh. Like it's a battle going on. We play a very pivotal role in this whole thing. To be partners with what he wants to do, because. You know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It happens when there's sons, daughters, Christians, believers that say, okay, Father, this is what you said. I'm going to speak it. I'm going to live it. I'm not going to give up on it. And then it happens. There's another realm of Christianity that says, well, you said it, so I guess it's supposed to happen. I just kind of like, agree with you mentally, and then maybe it will. I'm telling you, that's not what he had in mind. You won't see that reflected in Jesus' life at all. You won't see that reflected in the apostles. He's looking for us to be partners and co-laborers with what he wants to do. For whatever reason, he has chosen his believers, his children, to bring forth his kingdom on this earth, to bring his love to bring the nature of who he is, the fragrance of heaven. We're called the aroma, the fragrance of heaven. To bring that here to those around us. We're all in this together. And it could be an amazing, joyous, not stale, not boring ride. Filled with glorious testimonies. But so much of the church, it's like, ah, that's reserved for the pastor, that's like for the worship person. I don't really do that. And so I'm not gifted in that area, so that's not me. And then like, Man, it's crazy. It's craziness. There's so much work to be done. And Jesus was really clear. He said, listen, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are just few. What did he mean by that? If there was no work involved, what's he talking about with laborers? There is work. How many people know this, this, there is some laboring, there is some work, there is a grind to this. 
There just is. There's faith as well. Like, we work too. Okay. So they're supposed to be set apart. As we're supposed to be set apart. Amen to this? It wasn't just for them. Like, hey, listen. The goal of the church is not to look like everybody else, but then also be a Christian. Amen? The goal for us is not to just to look like everybody else, approach life the same way, handle our finances, sexuality, relationship, music, entertainment, do it all the same way, but then just say, I do believe in God, so I'm a Christian and I pray to prayer. Are you with me? That's not the goal. The goal is to be in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, embrace the transformation he's bringing in our lives, and then just live for him from that. That's the goal. So should my life, you know, look like a lot of other people that just really could care less about who God is? No, it really shouldn't. And guess what? That's going to get me into some uncomfortable situations. Well, it's like, it would just be uncomfortable at times because like I'll just, I'll think different things and I, I look at life a different way. I don't think that's then my cue. Hey, listen, preach it, pastor. That's not the time then. But I'll tell you what, for you and for I, it's then the cue and the clue for us to say, hey, listen, for whatever reason, they're not in right relationship with their father. But express and explain and model the amazing value and worth of partnering with God and doing it his way and what happens. Are you with me? That's what matters to people. They want to see that God is real, that he is true. If somebody actually followed their way, like what would happen if somebody actually did what he said to do? Because most people people are just like, i got to remember what so-and-so said, the way they said it, and then say it to the person, because they need to hear it. It's like, it's not a knowledge thing here. Like, people see right through that stuff, and they don't respond to that. They'd much rather be more interested, and they'd much rather hear, where have you laid it on the line? Where are you just sacrificing yourself unto God, and where is he coming through faithful? This is the stuff that matters. So like, we're called to be set apart, not only to the nation, but like his own sons and daughters. Just to be set apart from stuff. Uniquely designed for his purposes. Not to shut everybody off, but to also in such a way try and draw them in and see, God is amazing. He's unbelievable. He meets so many things. And you don't do it at the cost of truth. You don't do it at the cost of boundaries. But we do it in a way where the Spirit leads and loves at the center and it upholds their value and calls out their destiny. I'm like preaching good right now. And it's not me. It's just, it's just I, I know that and I understand that. Because it's truth for you and it's truth for me. You with me? All right. Okay. Um, okay, verse 10. So God told Samuel, he said, hey, listen, tell them like what's going to happen. So verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifty, and others 
to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your men servants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take of his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the Lord will not answer you in that day. I don't know, like, don't confuse me with the facts. When you really want your own thing and you're demanding it, it's very hard. It's very difficult. You know, like listening and hearing. It's very difficult to be listening to all that. They probably heard all of it, but I guarantee you they weren't listening to any of it. That's a crazy line at the end. Listen, you're going to get so frustrated at one point, and you're going to go so far one direction that honestly God doesn't even want to listen to you anymore. And you would think the next verse would be like, and then they considered their request. <laughs> Nothing doing. Because when we want something, we just want it, and we demand it, and we just go after it. Verse 19, but the people refused to listen. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Right? That's the idea at the end of the day. They want some safety and security, and they want it to look like the same way it looks like for everybody else. But the call on your life is to be set apart and have God lead you. Have him miraculously provide for you. And in the midst of that, you're going to grow stronger, your faith will develop, and you'll never be shaken. And they're like, too much work. I don't want to do that. Let's just get a king and an army. Verse 21, when Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. Not like the Lord didn't hear it, it's just Samuel prayed it back to the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the men of Israel, everyone go back to his town. So it's a kind of a crazy exchange, right? Of don't confuse me with the facts. You know, they were just hard-headed, they wanted their thing, they wanted it, they wanted it, they wanted it. It's like, well, I mean, here's what's going to happen if you do. I know, I, whatever. Like, we'll deal with it when we get there. Everybody say that. Well, I'll just figure that out. When, yeah, it's whatever. I just want to get it now. It's a problem, right? It's a problem. And did all the kings just pan out horribly for Israel? No, but most of them did. Saul was the guy they're going to get, and we're going to read about that. Then King David, I mean, he's, that's the man, right? I mean, he's the man. You're not even a non-Christian, you know who King David is. Man after God's own heart, right? It's amazing. And you got Solomon, but then you have a whole bunch of other kings, and uh, the majority of them just, it was bad. And it just led to their demise, failure, just not a good situation. So I know from that passage, you know, it just sobers me up in a few ways. Number one, like, am I more demanding with God, or like, am I, am I request-based? Am I open to, like, things that he wants to do, you know, his way? Do I just see something and go after them and I just say, no, Lord, like, just do it. You love me, just do it. And some people see God that way. It's kind of like a, as a, like a genie. And then if he doesn't do it, then they're impressed, they're depressed, and they're just, like, confused. And it's like, ah. Oh. And that's just not the way he operates. 
Certainly another part that resonates with my own heart, maybe with yours, is that we are called to be set apart and be different. Some people are so afraid to be weird. Listen, okay? There's some weirdness. Like, I'm with you on that. And I've met lots of weird people who love Jesus, and they are weird. I mean, they're just weird. I I told you about the conference I went to not too long ago, and the guy behind us, it was me and my brother-in-law, and we were there, and it was like we were praying for each other. Um, And this guy, you know, so the speaker, I I don't even remember who it was, he said, hey, listen, we're going to pray right now. Just get somebody around you and just pray for blah, 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 blah. like, all right. So we turn around, we got this guy, and I'm just like, you know what I'm saying, weird? He's like, oh, brothers. He didn't even open his eyes. You know, brothers, oh, thank you. Oh, jeez, just thank you, brothers. Bro. And I'm like, I look at my brother all freaking, I'm like, did he even look at us yet? Huh. <laughs> Whatever. But we just engage with prayer. It's actually a pretty powerful prayer time with him, too. We just engage, like, weirdness is just whatever. And guess what? If you're a Christian, at some point, you are going to be viewed and looked at as weird. And if that's the most important thing that, like, holds us back is how they view us, like, we have other problems that we really need to focus on and be aggressive about. Because we're really called to set apart and be different. We're just, that's just what we're going to do. And I hope that, you know, another thing that stuck out to me, I wanted to make sure I look at, this whole security issue. Um, man, I don't know. I like security in my life. I like to know that certain things are a certain way. Like, and I think it's good, and I think it's important. But here's what I do want to say, and I think what, what God wants to say is that at some seasons, at some points in life, um, that security will, like, be invaded or be on the shelf. It'll be, like, something he'll, he'll like, want access to. Not to make our lives miserable, but to reinforce actually who he is. And so sometimes our provision and our security... It's important, and we should go after it, and it's good. And I think we should also go after, fight for, be vocal about security and protection of others as well. People that can't defend themselves, the people that can't stick up for themselves. We overhear stuff going on, saying about somebody else, like, I'm not interested in that. I don't want to know about that. Like, traction stops with me types of people. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like, we should be those type of people. But I am saying that there will be seasons of life where our, 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 our income, our security, the stuff we've worked hard for, um, will be threatened. And I, and I just hope that myself and I hope that all of us, we won't just, well, how did so-and-so do it? How did they do it? What did they do? And we just run to that. There's a different way. And I hope that we'd be guilty of going a different way. Amen? Okay, Rick. Is it a short one? Yeah. Okay, okay. So on that, so Rick said that. So is there anybody just uh, in the room that we can all just pray for right now? We'll just pray for uh, healing in whatever capacity, uh, whether it be uh, physical, mental, whatever, just whatever it is. 
Anybody that wants prayer for that right now? Yes, no, maybe so. Okay, we got it. All right, stick your hands out toward Leanne. We don't need to know the details. Okay, we're just going to pray for her. We're just going to agree together. Sound good? All right, so Father, we ask for healing on, uh, in Leanne. Father, you know her body, you know her heart, you know her mind. We ask your Holy Spirit to touch her. We ask your Holy Spirit to uphold her. And we pray for a peace and for a healing on her body and her mind and in her life. Father, may you bring it. May it be undeniable that it's your hand, Lord. We ask for your change, Lord. And I pray that Leanne would find a refuge in your word and in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.